Today, we're going to be talking about high fashion wedding photography on Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion, all those stories and challenges that happen in between. As always, for this show and every show that we record, all the show notes are at the website. It's behindtheshot.tv. If you're watching on YouTube, that's easy as well. Right down below the like and subscribe buttons, I've got all of the description down there. I can't put the full blog post that I do at the website there, but any links that we talk about are also there at YouTube. And while you're there, smash that like, smash that subscribe button. Make sure you choose all for the bell. You watch enough YouTube at this point, I think everybody does, that you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and I want to warn one thing. I came back from WPPI with something, like everybody does, right? Uh, like for NAM, we used to call it NAM Thrax when you left that particular conference. Well, I don't know what you call it for WPPI, but I got it. And so I may lose my voice through this. My apologies in advance. But I want to get straight into our guest today because Andre Brown is somebody I originally learned about through my friend Aunt Pruitt's show, Hands-On Photography. It's on the Twit Network. If you haven't seen it, you definitely need to go subscribe to that one. But I want to welcome to the show Andre Brown. Andre, how are you, buddy? I'm good. How's everything going? It's going fantastic. I'm so glad to get you on this show. We were uh, able to meet actually at WPPI. You were speaking right. on one of the stages and I, I I made sure to come around when you were speaking so I could introduce myself. But I kind of want to give people kind of an insight to you before we get into the shot that we're going to dissect because there's a couple things researching you and your history that are really intriguing. Let's start with where you're at now. You're based in Atlanta, right? Yep. So I think of Been you as a wedding in Portugal. Ten years. About 10 years. Where are you from originally? Originally from South Carolina, but I uh, spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. That's where uh, yeah, I moved after college and I was there until I moved here. Okay. Uh, oh, too bad, man. I wish, I wish I'd known you when we were, when you were in LA, we could have gotten together. I think of you as a primarily, correct me where I'm wrong here, because I'm wrong all the time, a wedding and portrait photographer, but you also do videography for your weddings. Does that pretty much sum it up or am I leaving anything out? Um, yeah, I do videography for weddings, but I, ironically, I do, obviously I do more portraits than, than weddings because we only have so much capacity for, um, for uh, uh, weddings in a year, but I do upwards to 100 portrait sessions a year, primarily maternity and, you know, some boudoir in there as well. Okay. Oh, so that actually is, that's going to change my conversation, I think, today. Because <laughs> engage, well, but I mean, you know, headshots, engagement portraits, completely different than boudoir or maternity type portraits, right? I mean, there's a vast array of, of stuff you've got in there. I, I mentioned at the beginning, I first saw you or heard about you when you were on hands-on photography with our, our mutual friend, Aunt Pruitt, who's amazing. Again, people, right. if you're not subscribed to Aunt Show, go do it. But that made me start looking through your background. And I found some interesting stuff in your background. You have a bad, I know. I should just leave it there and let people's mind wander. <laughs> you, you, have, you have a Bachelor of Science in Recording Arts, Correct. right? So yeah. I've been in radio for 43 years. I've been around the music industry forever. I, I do live music photography. 
And so this kind of area of your background is super intriguing to me. You ended up being the manager of the Grammy-nominated songwriter, producer, well-known, right? Rick Rudd. Rude. Yeah, Rick Rude. So like I when me and Rick met, we were we were both 19. I just moved to LA. We met through a mutual friend. So when I moved to LA, I moved out with the group of guys I went to college with. We had someone invest in us to start a record company. And Rick happened to be the friend of uh, a friend. And you know, he and I had gotten really close just kind of throughout that process. And as some transitions started happening for me from, you know, the company that I was working with. Um, you know, our friendship just developed more. We ended up working together more. And um, my first major placements in the, the music industry were, you know, placements with him. The very first one was um, was a record for Busta Rhymes. And then from there, it just kind of took off. And then his career just his career just took off like crazy. So um, you're also talking yeah. Destiny's Child, Method Man, Mary J. Blige. These are not yeah. small venue artists. No, no, no. Rick is Rick is a, a talented guy, man. And, um, you know, he he really did his thing in a very short amount of time. Um, it, you know, just being in L.A. And, and transitioning through that and, you know, you being in radio, you understand that the music industry, entertainment in general is a very tough industry. And when you're you're young. Um, it's it's already primed to like take advantage of people. But when you're young, you're 19, 20 years old, they look at you, they're like, man, we're really going to get these guys, right? But, you know, it's kind of that, you know, the industry has that, you know, you have to pay your dues kind of thing. And, you know, we went through some trials and tribulations. We had a lot of great success. You know, there were a lot of people that were like, look, man, you guys are young, you're doing your thing. I like you, I'm going to help you. You have those people that are like, yeah, like i I want to take everything it is that you have. If you want to get to the next level through me, then you have to, you got to give up an arm and a leg. And, you know, that's just the culture <laughs> of the business. And uh, I don't really subscribe to that culture. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I, uh, I made my exit, you know, in 20, 2014. And I started my photography business in 2015. You know, it's interesting because the music again, radio, the music industry has always been that way. I, I almost think that there, there was a transitionary period at one point where they even stopped trying to hide it, right? It just became, look, this is who we are and this is what we're going to do to you. You tied them together right. really interesting. I found, again, doing my research on you, I found a blog post you wrote for Sal Sincata, Canon Explorer of Light, amazing guy, runs Shutterfest. If people have never heard of or been to Shutterfest, there's an associated blog actually called Behind the Shutter. And you wrote a blog post for him related to a particular Shutterfest event. And you said, quote, photography and music are pretty similar. I think I know what you mean there in my head. But I kind of want right. to hear how you how you tie those two together. Music, photography and music are pretty similar. Explain that. Um, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, but even the way the the business itself is structured. So for myself, I'm a wedding photographer, right? And just like anything else, there's there's gatekeepers, right? If, if there are people who have been in, um, they'll, they'll gatekeep for you, especially because as a wedding photographer, planners are usually the, the first person that um, clients end up hiring, right? 
And if a planner has a better uh, relationship or a more vested relationship with another photographer, they'll they'll block you, you know, from getting <laughs> jobs. I've I've had that happen. I've had clients tell me like, oh yeah, my planner really just didn't want me to hire you. They wanted me to go with their person, which I understand people have, uh, you know, their friends, right? Like I I would prefer uh, uh, to be able to refer my friend to a situation and, you know, have a client hire them. But I would never do it in a manner where I'm like, you know, kind of pulling somebody else down in order to be able to make that happen. These are the options. If you want my opinion on who you should hire, this is what my opinion is, right? But I would never just like, go out of my way to make things like make somebody not work with somebody music industry is is the same way it's like you know i have a vested interest in this because this is what benefits me you know if you're not paying me or if you're not doing me any favors then i'm gonna i'm gonna block you at any turn you know and that's just how it is so it's interesting because I DJed weddings, company Christmas parties. I owned a DJ business for 18 years. And wow. when I did that, there were venues that I would go to where they would say to me, you know, look, if if you refer somebody to us, we'll give you a kickback. I'm like, I don't want a kickback. I want to refer, like, I, I don't want to refer people because I'm making money on it, right? I'm going to refer people to the right. people I think are best for them. And I'd go into certain particular venues where where the first time I'd perform there, it'd be one of those venues where you have to use one of the people off their list or you pay a fee, meaning the, the bride and groom. Right. And people would, they knew me from another wedding. They'd pay the hundred bucks to get me in. And the wedding coordinator from the venue would come up to me and say, hey, do you have a card? I'd like to refer you. And I'd end up on their list. And then other friends of mine would say, how'd you get on their list? I've been trying for 10 years. And I always came to the same conclusion. Just be a normal, nice human being and don't make everything about the deal. Because I think that's one of the biggest problems is people make it about a deal. You you said something in that same behind the shutter article post, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And what you said was, you you started out actually by saying, quote, Rep, that you started out, I should say it that way. You started out by saying, uh, or you started out your career with replicating what you saw on popular wedding blogs, high key light, light and airy, kind of whimsical. But then you went somewhere different. You said at some point you had a realization that black culture on some major sites and in mainstream publications was fairly non-existent that is, you know, other than predominantly black publications like Essence or Ebony or, or, or whatever. And when I read that, it kind of struck me because it was almost like I was seeing the process of you finding yourself creatively and in other ways, right? Kind of explained step by step. This is how I discovered who I am as an artist, as a creative, and and as a photographer. And, and I think it struck me, I, I almost kind of, it resonated with me. We all start by recreating or emulating what we see, what we like, what we think will work, right? But at some point, what at least for those work. of us, right. you know, that are any good, at some point we have to find out why we are doing this at all. What makes us pick up the camera? And I felt like I saw you doing that in the way that you wrote that post. 
which makes me wonder, because you clearly had a vision of where, where, where Andre was going. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Um, really, five years from now, I mainly see myself really hard on education, right? Um, one of the biggest things that one of the biggest issues that I had coming into the business was that the gatekeeper mentality, right? <laughs> Even in the local market that I started in, I live here in Atlanta, but I started my business in my hometown, right? And, you know, it sits between Savannah and Charleston. So there are two, there were two popular, you know, popular black photographers in the area who sat on opposite sides, one in Charleston, one in, in Savannah. And they were doing the weddings all across, right? The Across the low country. So if you're familiar with the area, it's referred to as the low country. So I reached out and I said, hey, looking to learn photography, you know, I'll come assist, I'll come hold a bag, I'll come second, third, shoot, whatever it is that you need, whatever, whatever. One guy, crickets, right? Um, the other guy. Isn't that and, interesting uh, though? Not by, to inter I apologize, interrupt, but isn't that interesting that somebody reached out to want to learn from somebody and the mindset is I'm not even going to reply. Right. You know, um, and the other guy, he replied, but he was just kind of like, it was just very snarky, you know, kind of thing or whatever. Um, fast forward. I want to say 2019. This guy's like inquiring about my workshop. He wants to sign up for my workshop, you know? So <laughs> I say that to say that like any anybody that's ever hit me up for with questions and stuff like that, I'm generally very open to answer questions. Um, I'm, I'm an open book when it comes to information. Now, do I have workshops and education platform and things like that? Yes, of course, I want to be able to make money on those things. My issue is I will answer questions all day long, but don't feel like I'm just your, your, your free encyclopedia, you know, and then you go spend your money someplace else. Don't feel like, oh, I learned so much from you but you only want free information from me and you don't want to, you know, make an investment every with everything. There's an investment. You go to college, you spend money, right? You know, you go to any sort of master class, certification, whatever the case may be to get to the next level. There's an expectation that you have to spend money when it comes to creatives and, you know, people who are in line with what it is that we do. People have the assumption that, Oh, this person has information they should just give it to me. Why? Why? You know? So it's it's when there's that entitlement that, oh, you know, you should just give me information because I'm asking that now I'm like, no, you're not going to just be hitting me up, asking me question after question, but then you're not patronizing my business as well. Because if a client did that to you, you'd be on Instagram, you'd be on TikTok, you know, you'd be on Facebook making a post complaining about it, right? You can't have it can't have it both ways. If you see that myself or somebody else to be a, a, a great asset to help you get to the next level, find out what that mentorship looks like, pay for it, you know, find out what um, those workshops look like, 
go to the conferences and sign up for those classes. I can't go spend tens of thousands of dollars or more to learn, right? And then have the growing pains that come with just my business alone, the money I spent in Facebook ads, the money I spent in, you know, this, that, and the third. Give it to you all for free so that you can just get to the next level and, and just skate by. There's there's a, a, a cost for everything. Now, there's a the past couple of years has been this famous thing going around. It was, I think it started off as like a, a video meme or something. And the guy was, uh, it was basically something in reference to, well, I asked you how much to, I asked you to figure out X, Y, Z. Uh, you, you spend five minutes figuring it out. You fixed it, but you're going to charge me $20,000. I don't know what the number is, like $20,000. He's like, well, you're not paying for how long it took me to figure out your problem. You're paying me for the 20 years of experience to be able to figure out what the problem was in that five minutes worth of time, right? right? So you can't have it both ways at all. See, I relate this. I'm an IT person by trade. I'm an independent IT consultant. And- I get multiple calls a day from family and friends. And usually if, if they call me and I feel like they've tried on their own at all, I'll help them, right? I'll help those that tried to help themselves. But I, I say to people sometimes, I'm not your Google search results, right? You can't just call <laughs> me and get Google search results from me because it's a, it's not fair to me, but B you have to go try and do some of that input and some of that research and figure it out. And if you hit a wall, I'm happy to help people, but there has to be kind of, you know, a, a barrier there that, look, I've got all of these, you know, 20, 30 years of experience. You can't just use me to call and shortcut your particular search, which uh, uh, going, going back to your photography. This is, I could have that conversation, by the way, about that <laughs> all day long. It happens right. in music photography where I get, honestly, I get people send me emails and say, hey, I love your show. Here's a Dropbox folder of photos. Would you mind looking through and critiquing these for me? And I'll go in there and there's 40 photos in there. And it's oh. like, I, I don't know what oh. makes you think I have time to go through 40 of your photos. I'm happy to help. Send me one photo if you want to. I mean, now watch. Now I'm going to get like 40 individual <laughs> photos from 40 different people. That was probably not the smartest thing I've said today. Okay. So anyway, right. I look through your portfolio and, and there's a couple of things that I noticed that I think kind of tie into some of your business relationships because the way you use light to me is a huge key in your images. I mean, we all are photographing light and shadow, right? But the way you light things, I find very, very interesting. And it would explain to me why you are connected with certain companies. You're an ambassador for Westcott. You're an ambassador for MagMod. Never never owned a MagMod and I want to. I need to get some MagMod stuff. Uh, visual Flow <laughs> Presets. CloudSpot. And some of the coolest lights I've seen, I'm hoping to get some to try. Stella Pro Lights. You're a Stella Pro ambassador as well. Yeah. I guess my question related to kind of all of those ambassadorships and, and what I'm talking about with the way, the way I think you see light, especially coming from your music background, this is such a weird twist in life to me. What <laughs> led you to seeing light the way that you do? You know, 
when you're shooting something and you're looking at a scene, what are you seeing in light that makes you then go, oh, I need those Stella pros, you know, to help me with this? Does that make sense? Does that question make any sense? I don't know. Yeah. So like I, I had this buddy that this when I first started. So we met in like late 2015 and through 2016, 2017, like I shot with him a lot. He shot with me. Um, and I used to just, just look at this dude and be like, man, like, I don't understand like how you see light the way that you see light. Right. And like, I could just never gift. figure it out. Right. And I'm like, man, like, how, how did you see that? Like, we'd be doing the exact same thing. Like, where did that come from? But ironically, now that you say that, I remember being in music, right? And as a, as a songwriter, producer, I had, you know, friends who had been doing it long before I did. And even musically, you're playing, you know, playing music, you hear chords and stuff, and you hear harmonies, and you're like, how, how did you hear that? And I remember at night, I used to, you know, fall asleep with headphones on, listening to songs, listening for the harmonies that you can't hear in the, the naked eye, the things that make it fat and make it meaty, right? That you you can't necessarily hear what yep. that note is, but it's there. And then I remember all of a sudden one day, sitting there listening to something and all of a sudden, I could hear these notes. They just, they became available to me, right? So with light to some degree, um, it's it's kind of the same thing. Like I, I stand by, I will say this right now, I stand by this every day of the week. I do nothing special with lighting. I, I understand I master the basics. I won't even say I mastered the basics. I know how to do well with the basics. I feel like people do way too much in trying to to do something just to say, oh, I had a 10 light setup. You know, I had an image that was published on the, <laughs> the cover of Shutter Magazine. And excuse me, that was the first time I had done something. I think this was like a it's like a seven or nine light setup, right? And but it's like gels, it's like all of this stuff, but I'm using the light to pinpoint very specific things. I don't want this light to bleed into this. I don't want this light to bleed right. into this. I only want this to like pull this up. So when it comes to light, I use enough light to be able to illuminate the things that I want to illuminate. And I remove light in the situations where I, I, I don't want light. I will always, always, always default to directional light. Um, and in those times where I, you know, I'm doing some uh, uh, mirrored light setup, maybe lights on both sides, most people, they'll do like, oh, two lights, same exact power. Poof, right? Just blinding people. No, I have my key light and you know, whatever my field light is, is just there to lift the shadows just enough so right. that it's not complete, you know, darkness. Um, I always have light around. I have a Stella Pro up here right now. I can't get to it on a little angle, but I have a, a Stella Pro oh, up see here right up now there, yeah. that is, yeah, that I, I have set up. I can't, um, 
get the uh, my arm around to light it up, but I use that as a little separation light for me on on this side. So um, when it's when it's all said and done, I want the lights to do whatever it is that I want them to do, and only those tasks and nothing else. So here's the thing, though: everything you just went through is exactly what I was talking about, and that is, I think you do use light specially. I do. I do think that you see and understand. I, it's the reason you've been published in some pretty big stuff. Essence, Huffington Post, <laughs> The Knot, Black Bride. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you, that your work has appeared in, in ABC News, Good Morning America, that I would argue in the short amount of time relatively that you've been doing photography, you've right. made a big splash, right? It's the reason, like you say, that one guy that wouldn't give you the time of day is now asking about your own workshop. Speaking of which, uh, I came right. up and I introduced myself to you at WPPI. You were in a little WPPI booth in the back. Best speaker that they had there, by the way. Most of them were good. <laughs> Not all of them. You did a really good job there. You have two different types of, of educational outlets. Boca Academy, and you also do stuff for Embrace Workshop. But you're the host of Boca Academy Retreats. Explain Boca Academy Retreats right. to me. So the Boca Academy retreats is the new Embrace Workshop. So whereas Embrace Workshop was just myself, you know, providing photography education primarily on the, the in the realm of um, wedding photography and, and things of that nature, I kind of I built my own education platform, um, working with some other creatives over there called the Boca Academy. And, um, you know, there's a, a lot of course material over there on a number of different topics. So now Boca Academy retreats is basically um, the Embrace Workshop. But those retreats would consist of either myself um, or any of the other instructors or all of us combined going to a destination. So rewind, if you don't know the Embrace Workshop, it is a destination, you know, photography okay. workshop. We focus on all facets of photography, but there's always one day that's dedicated to weddings because I'm known as a wedding photographer, right? Right. Well, Boca Academy Retreats has now completely replaced uh, the Embrace the uh, Embrace Workshop. Okay, that makes sense. You're also involved in something called Snapflow. Explain that to me. Correct. Yeah, so Snapflow is a is a lead management and marketing software. Um, if you've been to any of my talks at any of the other conferences, I always speak on workflows. And I talk about how having, you know, very clear and concise workflows has helped me to grow my business, especially being a one man show that travels a ton, right? I need I need workflow automations that are going to provide the client experience that I want my clients to have, make it completely seamless so that they can enjoy their overall experience with me. They're never having to wonder what's next. Um, they're never, there's no lead sitting there waiting to be communicated with, um, whether that's the initial lead or whether um, uh, uh, I've been in contact with someone and we've kind of fallen off of communication. I have automation set up to always go back and reactivate people over and over and over again. Smart. Because sometimes we, we miss the booking simply because we forgot to reply or, or we didn't follow up because they forgot to reply. So Snapflow does all of that for me. 
I used to have a ton of software zapped together to to make things work. So Active Campaign zapped over to Google Sheets, zapped over to you know You're talking Zapier. text marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, n- now I can do all of those things inside of Snapflow and it's called, I'm saving $600 plus a month on that. My active campaign subscription alone for just for the photography business was $150 a month. So when you add Boca Academy to that, then it goes up. Then you start adding the fact that I have a separate list for, um, for, for photographers who want to learn from me, right? Um, you know, prior that list, you know, goes up. So on and on and on. Now with Snapflow, I can have it all tied together. I don't have to worry about if Zap failed. Everything is all within that same system. And um, so again, I'm, I'm able to create that seamless client experience. I, I was not super familiar with Snapflow until just now, and I don't have a lower third for this. Is there a website for Snapflow? Yeah, just go to snapflow.co. You'll have all of the information there. Um, I believe I, I checked earlier. We're actually doing some changes, some development on the site right now. So if you happen to go, you know, today and there's an issue, just go back tomorrow because uh, we're we're working on some stuff at the moment. But okay. um, yeah, I mean, it's it's super cheap in the grand scheme of things. Um, always just going to be the the low price of ninety nine dollars a month, and you have access to all of those features. Um, without having to, again, Frankenstein, a, a workflow together, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, Snapflow does it all for you. You said .co, right? Not .com. Yes, yes, .co, excuse me. Okay, .co. So .co. I, I have wedding questions for you because, mm-hmm. and again, folks, we're going to bring the picture up, but I'm having too much fun. Wedding photography <laughs> is so damn hard, Right. Uh, as a music photographer, we all think that our genre is the hardest, right? I think music photography is the hardest. And every wedding photographer you talk to says, oh, that's the hardest. And every infant photographer not only is insane, but also thinks that their photography is the hardest. <laughs> but wedding photography is is difficult. It is also low light action photography like what I do. Plus it's it's bride management and family management. There's so many aspects to wedding photography. How can right. a new wedding photographer, somebody that wants to go shoot their first wedding, when they go shoot or get into wedding photography, what's what's one thing they can do to be better prepared for what they're going to experience? Um, if you want to be a better wedding photographer, if you're new, my suggestion to you in the very beginning is to second shoot and assist as much as possible. Um, prior to prior to shooting my first wedding, I'd only attended one wedding, right? Um, and I technically didn't attend, I was in my sister's wedding. Um, but you don't really get to like take in all that is a wedding day, you know, when you're they're inside of a DIY wedding because now we're setting up <laughs> tables, we're doing, you know, right. so that's straight DIY style. So I didn't really have a barometer for what the day was like going through the process and everything. My first wedding, I just had to like figure it out, you know, oh, what's going on? Oh, okay, cool. Oh, this, you know, so there were things that I missed on my, my first wedding that I just didn't know that I was supposed to capture, right? Um, now, I second shot 
my first wedding the day after I shot my first wedding. Backwards, so okay. Now, right. So now I'm like, okay, well, I didn't do this yesterday, but I know to do this the next time around. And it, it kind of started giving me direction for what it is that I need to to do to build out a, a complete uh, a wedding story when it came to photography, right? But I... I second shot way more in my second and third year than I did my first year. And I shot 34 weddings my first year, right? So I wish that I had had the opportunity to work with these other guys prior, learn more about photography. Um, I like to think that I'm a, I'm a decent photographer, but I feel like I would have, I would have excelled further having the knowledge of, this is the barometer, right? And then now there's there's only up to go from there, you know? Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, let's be honest. We stand on the shoulders of those that came before us. And 100%. second shooting is basically getting that knowledge from somebody that came before us. Before we get into today's image, uh, just a quick reminder for you that this show is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's available in audio or video only. Uh, I'm sorry, video or audio only format. Uh, also, of course, the video is available on YouTube. There is a blog post at BehindTheShot.tv where I write a little bit about my guest, Andre, in this case. I've got a small gallery of his work. And then any links that we talk about are there. Plus, if you're watching on YouTube, down below the like and subscribe and bell and all of that, which you should smash on your way down, we've got all the links that we talk about there. I can't do the full blog post there. There are some limits uh, as far as that is concerned. And then, of course, if you want to find me anywhere, you can always find me on social media at Steve Brazel on Instagram, Twitter, or Mastodon. And then Behind the Shot TV at Instagram or Twitter. Reach out anytime. And I want to get into today's image because this is one of those images that when you and I were going back and forth talking about what image we were going to talk about today, and I pull them all up and I had one in mind, like instantly this one came up and I call my wife in. I usually do that. Honey, which, which shot would you like to learn more about? And sometimes I send them to my friend, Troy or Scott or somebody like that, you know, Scott, you know, which shot would you like to learn more about? And this shot jumped out at me. And as I was prepping for the show, I learned something about this shot after we had picked it. You entered <laughs> this photo we're going to talk about into your first ever competition and your first yeah. ever competition was the WPPI image competition. It was back in 2019, which is one of the toughest competitions that there is. They did not do it this year, which is a little weird to me. I hope that they bring it back, but your first competition was this nightmare WPPI image comp and it won 2019 WPPI Silver Distinction Award. It won the 2019 WPPI Wedding Division Bridal Party Award. It got second place in that one. And this is the image. First of all, congratulations on the awards on your first competition. Appreciate That's amazing. It. But I've got so many questions I want to break down in this shot. First of all, for those like me that like to try and reverse engineer a shot, let's talk assembly of the shot first. Okay. My understanding is this was shot on a Canon 1DX2 at the time, mm -hmm. 24 to 72.8 Mark II. Uh, that's correct, right? Yep. Correct. Okay. Great combination. Your exposure was interesting. First of all, manual mode, you're a manual shooter, right? You don't do the aperture priority or anything like that. 
Not okay. at all. And EXIF data shows that you set your Kelvin manually instead of auto white balance. So your white balance, you're manually going in and setting a temperature. Is Do you still normally do that? No, I used to do that a lot in the earlier years. Now with, you know, the advancement of technology, we uh, we don't necessarily have to do that as much anymore these days. But uh, yeah, back then I used to set Kelvin for absolutely everything. Okay. So EXIF data on this for exposure, one two hundredth of a second. That would pretty much blank out a lot of the ambient light that's in there. But your ISO's at 1250. You're bringing some of the ambient light back in with the 1250. And then you're almost wide open. You're one stop from wide open. You're at F4 for this. Mm-hmm. I want to start with all of that. Uh, we'll get into lighting in a minute because I, first of all, just, I, I do need to know, was there artificial light in this shot? No, it's just one window. Really? Okay. That's fascinating. So you're at 200th of a second, <laughs> but then you're bringing all of that light back in with the 1250 and the F4. Um, very, very interesting. What do you remember? This was obviously a while ago. Do you remember what you were thinking? Why you went F4, 200, 1250? Um, so I'm, I'm always at 200, you know, there's that there's that rule of, oh, as long as the shutter speed is double what your focal length is, I've never subscribed to that, right? Like, I want to make it simple for myself. I know that 200 is going to capture, is going to be sure that I have no motion blur in most situations, right? Right. So I'm always at 200. Um, Back in the day, F4 was just like, even even now, I'm almost always default at F4. Unless it's a situation where I have a boatload of people and I have a lot of depth going on, then I wouldn't be at a, I wouldn't be at F4. I would likely go up. The only time I really shoot super wide open is if I'm shooting boudoir for the most part, um, from being completely honest. And even with us talking about that, me being, I mean, I was, I was two years in when I took this photo. Now today I would probably increase my i would likely increase my f-stop because of my guy here in the back the second guy from the right you know i would increase the f-stop simply because of him knowing what i know today what would you have what would you today because that's one of the questions i was going to ask is again f4 isn't as bad as most people think depending on how wide you're shooting as well i mean if you were at 15 millimeters that's completely different than f4 at 200 millimeters but Right. What would you choose today here? Because I have a thought in my head of what I would shoot this at. What would you do today? Knowing how far back he is in that situation, I would probably be at 6371. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I... I shoot for com- I shoot for compression. Like, I want as much compression as humanly possible. So... It doesn't appear that he's super far back, but he's not even, he's not close to these guys at all, you know? So and here's a question I, really quick. This was a 24 mm-hmm. to 70. Do you know where, where you were on that scale? I was roughly around 30. Okay. Interesting. It's roughly yeah, because he's pretty 30. far so back. And to me, the thought I had in my head was I'd probably shoot this around 7-1. Um, yeah. 
just to be safe. But I like the 200th of a second. And that's where I would have screwed up is I probably would have shot lower than that. And it probably would have would have messed up how I would have shot it. For those of you on the audio feed, let me let me try and do a verbal explanation of this shot. Uh, I will butcher this. My apologies, Andre, in advance. But at, <laughs> at the end, tell me what I missed or where I screwed up. So for those of you on the audio feed and on the video feed, by the way, if you want to see the shot, you can always go to the website, behindtheshot.tv. But for those of you on the video feed, I'll have the image up here as well. Uh, and you can always go look at the shot on the website too. But this is a standard landscape orientation ratio, okay? And here's what I want you to picture. You're in an old room, in an old building. There's a red brick wall on your left. It has an old window on the left. And this is how I have the feeling it's one of those old, like downtown buildings. Is because on the left, you can see <clears throat> half of this old kind of yellowed window uh, in the back left corner behind the guys. And on that brick wall, about midway of the wall, the brick comes out as a ledge and then goes down again. The room and all the lights, this is one of my favorite parts of this image, is the tone of the lights. They're all warm. They're all these rich, warm tones. And next to the wall, there is a wooden table, like a bar table. It's square. It's about waist high. It's a metal table with kind of wood in between the metal railings. And it has stools that have no backs. It's like those bar type stools that are just like curved leather seats. Another stool, mid-frame, and then there is a chair to the far right frame. The back wall is two-tone, okay? Darker at the bottom, lighter at the top. There's a ledge on the back wall as well, has a lamp against the back wall. And there is also a stool on the back wall. And I'm going to tie these stools and chairs in in a minute, trust me. But here's one of the interesting things is there's a copper pipe coming out of that black, that back wall, comes out, turns 90 degrees, goes down straight into the floor, okay? Also coming out of the back wall, right the middle of the back wall, but the right side of the frame, like almost to the right rule of third, but not quite. There is a, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? A silver AC duct that's coming out. It goes up and then it curves at 45 degrees and leaves the frame. It's one of those kind of industrial type rooms, okay? Back wall on the far right is a lighter wall and there's half a TV, it looks like, on that wall. Hanging from the top of the ceiling, you don't see the ceiling, but you see the strings and there are five randomly placed, really cool, kind of retro old-fashioned bulbs. Now the people. In this room, there's a groom and there are four groomsmen, okay? The groomsmen are placed as follows. That far left table against the brick wall, there's one there. The center stool I mentioned, there's one there. The chair that I mentioned on the right, there's one there. And then there's one, and those are seat seated. And then against the back wall, in between the lamp, the the copper pipe and the AC duct is another groomsman. He's standing. And then in between the two on the left, the guy at the bar type table and the guy in the center stool in between them is the groom. Now, all those groomsmen are dressed the same. Okay. They're all wearing dark tuxes, white shirts, the groom. Oh, and by the way, they're wearing like bow ties. The groom, on the other hand, is in a red jacket, 
has a long straight tie, obviously has a boutonniere as well. And he is standing in between the guy at the table against the brick wall and the guy on the middle stool with his hand on the front corner of the table. His right foot is up on one of the little like connecting bars on the table. I love this. This wasn't intentional, I don't think. All the groomsmen are wearing dress shoes with socks. He has no socks on. Absolutely love that. But the warm colors, the direction of light coming from, I mentioned the half window on the left, but there's no real light coming from that that you see. But out of the frame on the far left, apparently in front of us, in front of them, is a window. I'm guessing it mimics the one that we do see. And that appears to be where all the light is coming up from. And it's fairly bright because the shadows are rather soft, but they are pronounced. Did I miss anything? No, not at all. I mean, at least in terms of what you can't see in terms of photo development, I'm actually standing in front of the actual bar itself. So I'm standing in front of the bar that would, uh, that would be down there serving drinks in that space. Okay. So there's so much I want to go in through here. And I want to start with the, the composition and the posing, because there's a number of things in here that work to me to its strong advantage. Odd numbers, right? You have an odd number of lights. You have an odd number of men in the room, right? Combined with their placement, which seems random, they're staggered, but they're not. Like the four guys, the three guys on the left are pretty much in a straight line. The guy in the chair is a little forward. You have the other guy in the back. It's also natural of where people would be. But then the posing, no one is posed the same. The guy in the middle, one foot's up on the stool, his hands are clasped. The guy on the table is actually leaning forward onto his elbow. Not the typical photographer, oh, sit up straight. People don't sit like that. This is how people sit, right? This is, that's what that guy would have been doing if they were talking and having a drink. It's so freaking natural. So I need to know a couple of things. How much control did you take over their body positions? Like the guy in the right in the chair, his legs are crossed, right? So I see the bottom of his shoe, which I've heard people argue, you never want to see the bottom of a shoe, but here's the thing. Here, because of the way his right hand and his left hand are on that leg, it just brings this natural, wonderful feeling to it. How much control did you take over their body position and their pose? Any pose shot like this, you know, I've I've become kind of known for these group shots. Any shot that you see like this, I pose every single person, every hand, every foot. Okay, wow. Every every expression is all me. Um, Now, the guy on the left-hand side closer to the ledge, um, initially he was sitting in that front bar stool. And my issue was because he was so close to the light source, he was super overexposed on the one side, but I had him turned in toward the rest of the guys. So with him being super overexposed on what would have been his backside, Right. The front side went into too much shadow and I couldn't see him. So I had him go up around the groom and stand on the, the back side of the table. Now, the gentleman second from the right, he was initially standing further up closer to the guy on the bar stool. I literally he's there because that is where the, the natural 
uh, light exposure hit him. When he was further up, the light from the, the guy sitting on the stool was casting a shadow. I moved him back a little bit. It wasn't far enough for the light to hit him. And I just, I just literally, I just t- kept telling him, go back, go back, go back. And once the light hit him the way that I wanted it to hit him, then it was fine. A gentleman Which let me, let me interrupt you. I apologize. But where you positioned him, mm-hmm. he's between that lamp and that pipe and the air duct. And his shirt stayed white because you positioned oh, him in yeah. that light. Plus, it, you put him right in front of that, I'll call it a rim light on the AC duct, which then separates him. That was brilliant. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and then the guy that's sitting in the chair, like I literally, I put the chair there, had him sit down, told him how I wanted him to pose. You know, um, the light wasn't doing what I needed it to do. And I do this all the time. Stand up, let me move the chair. Because I just, you know, I'm using the light that's there. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I don't want to settle for just whatever is coming out of the situation. I don't usually default for oh, let me fix it in post. Um, and to be honest, this really just didn't take that long. I was already down there photographing the groom. I had taken some pictures of him. I called the rest of the guys down, posed them out. I might have taken like five or six shots to account for blinking and things of that nature. And and we were done. We were back upstairs. Okay, let me ask this then. I love this. I love this. So- I get the four <laughs> groomsmen. Okay. I totally get them. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you remove the groom from this shot, right, the four groomsmen are spot on. I mean, if you remove the groom, you'd probably move the center guy frame left a little bit, but with the groom there, the four groomsmen are spot on. So now you've got the guy in the red coat, right? The guy with no socks. <laughs> what made you, what were you thinking when you had his position in pose? I was already shooting him the like that um, before I had the guys come down. So I okay. shot um, the groom portraits of him standing there. I shot some regular, I shot some with him with his foot up. And overall, I just liked the way that it looked. So I literally, I positioned everybody else around how I already liked him. Most people would have defaulted for the groom being in the middle, right? Um, I love, I am very anal about symmetry, but I love asymmetry. So if you look at this photo and you look at any of my other group photos, you'll see there's usually some sort of asymmetry going on. Um, high lows, even the, the same thing when it comes to like me shooting reception decor, I'm doing the same thing. I'm, I'm setting up my, my room shots to get that high, low, high, low type situation going on. Well, plus you, again, you've got the rule of odds here with five bulbs. You've got five guys. It's the rule of odds. And yet there's symmetry that it's five and five might be accidental, but it freaking works. But Ex- then taking that sure. room with the red coat and throwing the balance off adds so much. It's, it's, I can't, people who know me know I'm not a fan of a Dutch angle, right? But it, it does kind of what a Dutch angle does. It adds complexity and energy by, by putting the groom where you did. I love this. I, okay. So here's the question then, if there's no artificial light here, 
you positioned them each individually to get the maximum lighting you wanted for that person. Not maximum is the wrong word. The best lighting, the way that you wanted them lit for each person. Not so much quantity of light, but the light you needed for them. Okay, so you shoot this. You take five or whatever shots, like you said. You go back to the computer. What is your normal post-processing workflow? Ingestion, Lightroom, Photoshop. What what would you have done to to this image? Um, I bring everything into Lightroom. Um, back then, I was culling in Lightroom. Whoa, you know. So, <laughs> so I, I bring what everything do you use into now? Lightroom, and I'm. Um, I do use Lightroom, but um, my cull I cull in um, in Photo Mechanic. Oh. I love photo mechanic. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So you get it yeah, in the Lightroom. It's fast. Yeah. So I get it into to Lightroom. This is one of the ones I, I mean, I took it. So I'm excited about it. So I get in there really quick. Right. And uh, I'm going through and I'm, and I'm editing and I'm bringing out shadow detail. Um, because again, it, ironically, I just been a WPPI the first time about a month before this sat in on image competition and um they uh one of the the common things that you hear is about shadow and detail oh you need to have shadows in the detail so i'm looking i don't want any blacks to be super black because then it gets you know it can have like that that muddiness when it comes to um the highlights i also don't want those blown out which at back then i wasn't paying attention to histogram either back then right so i probably could have done better on the highlights um but my my really just wanted to be sure that i controlled the color of the shirts right obviously we have a a light of uh uh a color cast coming in from the bulbs and also from the the red wall but I, I like the the overall look. Now, when it came to the this final edit, um, which was for image competition, this is a this is a little bit different of an edit than what the client initially got, right? Um, but you know, working with the retoucher that I was working with at the time to really bring out those those tones and enhance them in a way that didn't make them, you know, just go in and dominate the scene, you know, too, too much. Um, you know, that was, that was the goal is, you know, just try not to, to have it just be too overwhelming in the space. I, I love it. And then again, when you take this image and you start breaking down its composition, I mean, you've got a ruler third here, right where that wall is. You've got a ruler third here, keeping the groom in the center. You got a ruler third right where the top of that side wall is. You got a ruler third right here, just below everybody. And it's just to me, the way this thing is laid out is so spot on, really, really well done. And again, man, congratulations on on the award for this because it is so well deserved. Appreciate it. And the irony, I didn't even realize until we started talking, but that's the award. That, that's the that's the print from competition right there on this side, right? Oh, with the stripe and on that's it. Yeah, the, the award the right next to it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and then you have another WPPI right one on on your left shoulder too, which is nice. Yeah, these both of these were images that um that awarded in my, my first year. 
And then I have two more over here that I submitted that didn't, you know, receive any awards. But then, you know, I have my collection of, of trophies from WPPI and other competitions back here as well. So Wonderful, wonderful. All right, so let's switch gears. I warned you about a speed round. Let's jump into the speed round. For these questions, answer the first thing that comes to your mind. We'll run right through them. Your top wedding photography tip. Uh, Lighting. Understand lighting. I am a big proponent of, I buy gear out of convenience. So, you know, I, even though I use strobes, throughout the day always keep a stellar pro with me um because it's quick and i can you know i, I call it my rover light it's usually like on a a, a nano stand mm-hmm. with some sort of softbox on it and i just grab it and go and i use it to do whatever it is that i needed to do right in that moment so dialing in whatever lighting situation is most convenient for you okay and also the Stella Pro are kind of nice because they can be flash or they can be constant light. Next question. Top wedding videography tip. Wedding videography tip. Um, learn storytelling. I think the biggest issue is, is most people do not um, know storytelling. When it comes to videographers, they go in really quickly and they just capture a bunch of clips and they stitch it all together later on versus, you know, finding a story and telling that that story. As photographers, videographers, we love to say, oh, we're storytellers, but it's, it's a very cliche saying, right? Go through your work or go through somebody else's work who feels like you know they tell stories and see the difference in what it is that they're doing and what it is that you're doing and, and truly you know, figure out how to tell a story through imagery, both photo and video. Okay, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna break the speed round here for a second because your lighting idea on the top wedding photography tip made me think as a wedding photographer, we talked earlier, I think wedding photography is one of the most difficult genres out there. Wedding photographers, and it's the same with maternity and boudoir, right? Wedding photographers have to light people of all shapes, all sizes, all colors, different skin tones within a particular race, et cetera. Do you, when you're lighting and this could be a speed round question, however you want to answer. Do, do you, when you're lighting, do you approach different body types or skin tones or colors differently or light is light and you just go with it? Cause I've heard people say, you know, certain skin tones, I'll use a gold reflector for warmth and other skin tones. I'll use a white or a silver reflector. Do you approach it differently? No, not at all. Like I just look at the scene and I like the scene accordingly. Um, you know, in the past, few years, you know, you get a lot of questions like, oh, well, how do you manage, you know, uh, interracial couples and the different skin tones? I'm like, just expose properly. At the end of the day, it's <laughs> it's exposing properly. You know, there's there's no like filter for black skin or brown skin or anything like that. Just expose for the people that are there. If you have, you know, someone who is really, really fair complected, you need to be sure that they're not completely, you know, blown out, right? And um, over the years, Pi Jersa is the one that really got me dialed into to things like the histogram, right? I never used to, to touch the histogram. I never cared about it. If you've learned from me, if you heard me speak, I don't, I don't get into the technicals. I 
do what it is that I like. If it works, it works. I don't care about, you know, uh, 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 inverse square law. Like, I don't care anything about that. At the end of the day, I know that he he's too bright, she's too dark, or vice versa. What's going to give me the best balance? Um, the idea that everything is going to be 100% right in camera, right doesn't mean perfect, right? Right, right means the fact that you can you can do what you need to do to be able to manipulate it later on if you have to. Well, and the other thing is when you talked about, you know, what do you do if you have somebody very pale or an interracial couple, they can be the same race, but in a normal wedding, he's already wearing a black tux and she's wearing a pure white gown. You already have extremes of exposure to deal with. All right. Back to the speed round. Right. What's the biggest photo mistake you made or almost made? Oh, man. <laughs> this was not even wedding related. Uh, I was I was shooting a session um, before a wedding. And uh, ironically, I have, to this day, we laugh about it. I have no idea how it happened. But for some reason, my <laughs> camera was shooting like these, these small raw files. So I go in to go edit. It's a really moody photo. Um, so I know the way that I'm shooting it. I need to go in and pull shadow details out. And I'm trying to work with it. I'm like, why isn't it doing what it is that I want it to do? Couldn't figure it out. So I was like, all right, I'm going to send it over to a retoucher. Sent it to uh, my retoucher. He's like, why is it eight megs? What do you mean it's eight megs? <laughs> He's like, dude, you're shooting with a with an R5. It shouldn't be eight megs. I pulled it up. I'm like, hey, like, why is it eight megs? So I go check the photos from the wedding that day. Nothing wrong with those photos. Somehow, some way, this session, which incredible photos, incredible photos, ends up being so low quality that I can't manipulate it the way that I want to manipulate it and enter the images in the competition. Oh, wow. Crazy. Okay. No idea how it happened. Favorite composition rule, if you have one. Um, I don't. I I go for asymmetry in 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 terms of balance. Right now, when we start talking about like rule of thirds and, and things of that nature, I am I my goal is to sell wall portraits. So I want there to be a lot of balance going on. Right. So it's usually something. Um, usually a horizontal situation. Because to be honest, I hate vertical photos. I won't, I won't lie. Like I, I hate vertical photos. Same here. I, I, always, don't, I don't see right. that way. <laughs> yeah, right. Like we don't see that way. And now we live in this world where everything is like vertical, right? So, but I, I hate vertical photos. So it's always going to be horizontal. It's always going to be extremely balanced no matter what it is because my goal is to end up with some sort of wall portrait at the end that I can sell in a 20 by 30, a 30 by 40, a 40 right. by 60. Because as we know, that's where we make our money on the backside is these wall portraits. Okay. Favorite source of inspiration? Oh. I don't have one, ironically enough. Um, I think the biggest mistake that I that I make and that I've made over the years is that I don't really look at much of anything else because I don't want to be 
inspired by anything else or anybody to come back and say, oh, well, he got this from from this idea. Um, so, no, like my my goal when I'm shooting, especially any portraits that you would see that came from competition or anything like that, is always with the goal of seeing it as artwork in the home. Okay. Favorite band or performer? Uh, always Jay-Z. Always <laughs> Jay-Z. Favorite drink? Drink. Uh, vodka or tequila, anything, and I'm good. Oh, I like that. My favorite tequila is Clase Azul. Love Clase Azul. Uh, oh, favorite man, yeah, movie? I have no idea. Oh, it's it's the uh, the white bottle, hand painted blue on it. Great tequila. Okay. Favorite movie or TV show? Favorite movies always hands down going to be Love Jones. TV show? Oh, that's that's a hard one, man. I mean, it, and I watch a lot of TV, man. So I could go back to like. LAPD Blue. I go back to Law and Order. Mm. I could watch Law and Order all day long. But then, you know, you got classics like, you know, Cosby Show. You got Martin, you know. Um, uh, yeah. See, when I read your bio, I knew we'd get along. I still to this day, <laughs> the original Law and Order, I still to this day original. record reruns of the original Law and Order. I watch probably one or two a night. Often there's 486 episodes or something like that. I don't know because uh, it ran for 20 years, but there's times I'll go through three or four and I've seen it, seen it, seen it last night again, caught one that I hadn't seen before. I love it's two shows in one. It's a cop show. It's a courtroom show. So last question, right. is there a photographer out there that you think more people should know about and follow? Um, Man. So my my favorite photographer in the in the game, hands down, is uh, Joshua Dwayne. I'm not if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with Josh. Uh, when I got into business, Josh was doing weddings. He's doing a lot more commercial stuff now. But hands down, I don't care what nobody says, best photographer in the game. I've never had the pleasure of working with him or learning under him. Um, but if anybody ever asked me who my favorite photographer is, him. I will say that when I first started digging into photography, um, the only photographer that I ran across on YouTube at the time that I felt was it was of quality photographer, Carl Taylor. I don't think enough people know about Carl Taylor. There's a commercial portraiture. Um, I don't know what country he's in, but this guy is this guy is insane, man. His work is incredible. So check him out as well. Okay. I will make sure that all of those links are in the blog post. It's at behindtheshot.tv. And if people want to connect with, and by the way, again, they're in the description down below if you're watching on YouTube. If people want to connect with Andre, uh, your website is? AndreBrown.com. Okay. You and, are on uh, Instagram, Facebook. Oh, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Yeah, and I, I was just going to get into the other ones, but you're getting into them now. You're good. Okay, perfect. So, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, all of those, your Andre Brown photo. The uh, Snapflow one was what again? Snapflow.co. Okay. And Boca Academy is? BocaAcademy.co. Perfect. Again, Andre, thank you so much. Everybody go check out the show notes at BehindTheShot.tv in the description. 
Go follow him everywhere that you possibly can, my friend. I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, thanks for having me. It was fun. I appreciate it. Uh, the pleasure was all mine. And I've been ending every show recently with a whiskey pick. A lot of my friends that are in photography are like me. We're whiskey fans. Uh, I like all kinds of whiskeys. I've got a collection of Japanese and Scotch and Irish, and, and I tend to lean more towards American whiskeys, bourbons, you know, Tennessee whiskeys, four grains, whatever. And sometimes I'm picking expensive ones. Sometimes I am picking, you know, very average ones you can find anywhere. And that's what it's going to be today. I am a Jack Daniels fan. And last year, Jack Daniels released a couple of bottled in bond whiskeys. And the pick for this show is this one here, which is Jack Daniels Triple Mash. This is like a $40 bottle anywhere you go. It's bottled in bond, so it's 100 proof. It's 60% of the Jack Daniels Tennessee Rye, 20% of the normal Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey, and it is 20% of the Jack Daniels American Single Malt. All that combined, 40 bucks. It's not what you expect if you have a kind of prevision in your head of what Jack Daniels is. 40 bucks if you're into whiskey, something for you to go try. Again, you can find all the show notes for today, all the ways that you can subscribe to this show, which is available as an audio-only podcast, or if your podcast app of choice, like Apple Podcasts, supports video, it is also available in video format. If you search behind the shot, you'll find two different feeds, one for each one. All the ways that you can subscribe and the show notes for today's show and every show are at BehindTheShot.tv. The podcast is available as well on Instagram, not available, but you can follow the podcast on Instagram or Twitter at Behind the Shot TV. You can follow me on Mastodon, Instagram, or Twitter at Steve Brazel. There is a Facebook page for both the podcast Behind the Shot TV and Steve Brazel Photography on Facebook, but I'm never there. So <laughs> you can go there if you want to. I'm just never there. Uh, again, I got to say a big thank you to my guest this time around. Make sure you check out the show we did with Ant 2, Hands On Photography. Go back and watch that one. But to Andre Brown, thank you so much. Make sure you join us next time as we take a look inside a photographer's mind by taking a closer look behind the shot. <laughs>